Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister travels to Europe for a NATO summit. Whether our soldiers are leading UN efforts to prevent and end conflict or contributing to NATO's work on women, peace and security, Canada now has not just the will, but the capacity to make a positive difference. Canada's provincial and territorial leaders gather today in Toronto. We have to send a message uh, around the world that yes, we're, we're a big family and we, we may have a few bumps in the road, we may disagree, but we have to give businesses out there certainty. Because if you don't give businesses certainty, they'll leave. And Andrew Scheer faces more leadership questions, while Jason Kenney pleads for unity within the federal Conservative Party. Stephen Harper lost the 2014 election um, and uh, carried on as leader, became one of the great Conservative uh, Prime Ministers uh, so I, I, I think that stability makes a lot more sense than internal conflict. It's Monday, December 2nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Morning, Mark. So the Prime Minister is off to the United Kingdom where he will attend an, a meeting to celebrate the 70th anniversary of NATO. And obviously the NATO leaders will be there and there will be items on the agenda and uh, the Prime Minister sent out a statement, uh, you know, talking about the the occasion and, and, and talking about how much Canada values NATO. But I think there are some critics out there who would say, well, why then do we not do our share when it comes to defence spending? Uh, give us a sense of, of what you think will happen at this particular meeting and whether Canada will be held to account for what some people feel is, is uh, not contributing enough. Well, I think Canada is not alone, but clearly, uh, you know, I think the... the, the as has been the case with all of these international gatherings, uh, the person who watches Donald Trump, you know, it's the 70th birthday of, of NATO, but you, you can see Donald Trump saying, you know, happy birthday, you suck. You know, he's not been very happy with NATO. He's been clear about uh, making his feelings known. He's not happy with member nations uh, for not contributing enough. Uh, you know, it was five years ago, the NATO partners all said that they would uh, spend 2% of GDP on military spending, and, and I think there's less than 10 of them that are actually doing that, and Canada is one of those uh, countries not spending. I think we spend one, about 1.4% 1. of GDP on on defense, on military spending, and we're not planning to spend anymore. We, we have argued to calculate our contributions differently, and there's been some acknowledgement of that. Uh, we still make the case that we punch above our weight, but the, in... in pure spending uh, of GDP, we're not there. And Donald Trump, I think you can expect him to reinforce that argument yet again. Not only that, Mark, at the same time that the the argument over spending is taking place, there are sort of real cracks in, in what NATO is supposed to be and how its partners and member nations are performing. Uh, you know, sort of this was accentuated with the pullout of the U.S. out of North northeastern Syria and uh, the invasion of Turkey into the same area without any consultation with NATO members. Turkey and the U.S. are both NATO members. Uh, they didn't talk uh, with other NATO members, and typically when there's some kind of military action taken by uh, the alliance, it's done through consensus, and that didn't happen. Uh, we've seen comments from you know Emmanuel Macron, uh, the head of France, talking about NATO being brain-dead. Uh, or brain, there's NATO suffering a brain death. Uh, so there are lots of problems with this organization. I think it's going to go one of two ways, and my suspicion is it's going to go it, it's going to go the way of accentuating the problems, not trying to 
uh, highlight uh, the good things about the alliance. And that can be a problem for Canada. If Europe starts looking after Europe's defense and the U.S. looks after the U.S. defense, where does that leave Canada? Lots of question marks. All right, there's another meeting of leaders today that Canadians will be watching closely, and that is the gathering of premiers and territorial leaders in Toronto. And obviously, uh, there's a new government. It is a minority government. I think there are some premiers who feel that after what happened in the election, uh, that this is a time when they want to hold that government's feet to the fire and work together to get what they want from the federal government. What do you expect the tone of this gathering to be, and, and what will be the outcome? I think we're already seeing some, you know, uh, you know, I'm going on a bit of a limb. I think we're already seeing some, you know, uh, inkling of what to expect from the past couple of weeks from different premiers. I don't, I don't think the premiers are united on everything. Certainly, uh, they're clearly united on wanting more from Ottawa, but it's not clear that they're all enemies of Ottawa. It's not clear that, when I, well, Ottawa, I shouldn't say, of the federal liberals, um, they. Uh, don't see eye to eye on everything. Uh, there are some cracks showing in, you know, the the front of premiers who oppose carbon taxes and oppose what the federal government's been doing. Uh, you have provinces getting into it with each other. You know, uh, Manitoba is stepping forward and criticizing Quebec's Bill 21. We'll see how much of that uh, conversation takes place at this meeting. I'm not sure a whole lot of it will. It may take place on the sidelines. But we may not hear a whole lot about it. But I, you know, I, I think what we're seeing here is we've seen the prime minister meet one-on-one with these various leaders uh, to get input from them on how they expect them to govern in a minority parliament. Now we're going to get a chance to see all the premiers together uh, in the same room, and they'll come into this meeting tomorrow afternoon with a news conference, and we'll see whether there's any kind of a, a, a decided approach, a uniform approach with how to deal with Ottawa. I think the one place that we may see some sort of progress because they can't agree on the need to reform uh, the equalization system where they might find some agreement is on making changes to the provincial stabilization formula, which is, uh, you know, the federal government kicks in money when when uh, a province takes a serious economic hit outside of the uh, review of equalization, and Alberta has been complaining about that. Saskatchewan has been complaining about it. So maybe we'll see the premiers come forward with an idea that, look, yeah, we need to look at ways to fix this stabilization system. Let's leave equalization to the side. There's no appetite. There's certainly no consensus within the premiers to reopen equalization. So I don't think you'll see any meeting of minds on that. But you might see a meeting of minds on, as I say, making changes to this stabilization program that helps you know, provinces when they suffer a serious economic downturn, such as the case number. All right, let's turn to Ottawa and what will be happening here this week. Of course, Parliament will be resuming on Thursday. Uh, just walk us through what's going to happen with the election of a Speaker and the throne speech. Uh, it won't be a long session of Parliament, uh, maybe a week and a half, if that. Uh, but uh, give us a sense of what to expect. Yeah, you've, you've sort of captured it there. I think there's uh, you know, job one for members of parliament on uh, Thursday morning will be the election of a speaker. That'll probably take a couple of hours. There are, I think, five candidates at this point. It's an interesting, uh, maybe not everybody knows this, but what you have to do, uh, if, if it's sort of a negative option. If you don't remove your name from the race for speaker, you could have all 338 members of parliament eligible for the job. Uh, so what happens is you notify 
uh, you notify the House of Commons that you are not interested in seeking the job, and that takes you out of the race. And I think so far there's, uh, you know, four or five that might change as the week goes on. But it's, I, I think the indications are that the the Speaker in the last Parliament, Jeff Regan, is clearly the front runner. I think to uh, occupy the Speaker's chair again this time around. So they'll get that out of the way Thursday morning, and then there'll be a bit of a suspend uh, suspended sitting for a couple of hours, and then. Uh, sometime early mid-afternoon, we can expect a speech from the throne. And I don't think that'll be very long. I think that'll be probably less than half an hour. I think you'll get sort of a broad brush, which is always the case with a speech from the throne, a broad brush of the government's approach. But what I'll really be watching for is the tone of that speech from the throne. What is, uh, you know, it's read by the governor general, but it's crafted by the prime minister and cabinet. What is the tone of that speech? What Will we see a, a sort of reaching out to all of those smaller opposition parties in the House of Commons from Justin Trudeau saying, look, I'll, uh, I've heard you. I know I'm in a minority government. I've said I will approach this differently, governing differently, and here's some indications of where I plan to go on key issues such as you know, climate change, uh, energy development, uh, uh, the economy in general, Western alienation. I think you'll hear a nod to all of those things in this speech, and that'll give us a, a pretty good indication of what to expect. And yes, as you point out, they'll Thursday, Friday this week, and then they'll sit for one more week uh, the week after that, and then they'll take the Christmas break and be back at the end of January. Now, under normal circumstances, if such a thing exists in politics, uh, this week uh, you'd see the leader of the opposition focusing on the throne speech, criticizing the government. Uh, the Andrew Scheer, of course, just unveiled his shadow cabinet a few days ago. Uh, but instead, it feels like there's going to be a lot of focus on Andrew Scheer himself, as there has been since the election. How do you see this playing out as there are more and more people calling for Scheer's resignation, raising questions about whether he can make it to the April convention, and even his choice of deputy leader of the Conservative Party, the former Liberal MP who crossed the floor, Leona Alislav, uh, made a bit of a gaffe on the weekend when, when she compared the Pride Parade to the St. Patrick's Day Parade and then had to apologize for it, which of course was not the outcome Andrew Scheer was looking for in uh, in announcing the leadership roles on his team. Yeah, right. He's looking to... Uh, answer some of this criticism that uh, he's he's you know still he's he's locked twenty years behind the times here that uh, you know that we we have uh, gay marriage in this country we have gay pride parades politicians march in them but not Andrew Scheer uh, you know one parade's not just like every other parade uh, is is clearly the message so I I don't think this is how he wanted the deputy leader to to start off uh, Leon Alislav has apologized for the comment. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's a, a bit of a gift uh, to the to the Liberals. I mean, you know, uh, Andrew Scheer promised to come into Parliament and hold Justin Trudeau to account and basically start the countdown to uh, the next election sooner rather than later. Uh, speech from the throne, yeah, that was likely to be his focus. I think the focus this week is you have Conservatives trying to knock the Conservative leader off the throne, and, and I think that's. Uh, that's clearly problematic. The big question now is, can Andrew Scheer hang on uh, as leader to get to the actual convention where uh, delegates to that convention will decide if they want uh, a leadership convention or not, or does he go before then? But in the meantime, uh, the focus for the Conservatives, 
clearly is will it'll be hard for him to keep the focus on Justin Trudeau when he's you know fighting this rearguard action of his some some of his own party members are trying to knock him out of the job uh, even before that convention. So Andrew Shearer's got his hands full. I think we'll we'll learn a lot in the next couple of weeks. And timing to me is curious, Mark. I mean, I I know that some conservatives don't like him, and I'm I'm not quite sure what the purpose is of trying to drive him out of the job. Uh, between now and the convention. Sure, we could have an election at any time, but I think there's sort of a general consensus that we're not going to have an election within the next couple of years. So I'm not sure how pushing him out of the job before delegates might get a chance to do that uh, five months from now um, is is a really urgent matter, uh, especially if, if we spend the next four months, conservatives spend the next four months, and we as media watching this unfold. Uh, spend the whole time watching conservatives attack Andrew Scheer and Andrew Scheer try to defend himself instead of conservatives taking on the government. It'll be interesting to see how much he can change the uh, the focus of attention from himself to uh, his attacks on the government or his criticisms of the government this week, his uh, review of the throne speech and so on. We'll be watching to see how that unfolds this week as everyone returns to Ottawa for a couple of weeks in December. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, Mark, we'll be in, uh, in contact as always. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Whether our soldiers are leading UN efforts to prevent and end conflict or contributing to NATO's work on women, peace and security, Canada now has not just the will, but the capacity to make a positive difference. Now let's take a look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. An editorial in the Hamilton Spectator argues Canada now needs NATO more than ever. The Spectator writes, When Justin Trudeau joins the annual NATO summit in London this week, he might wonder if he's attending a funeral instead of a birthday party. While NATO is celebrating 70 years as an alliance that has successfully kept Europe out of yet another major war, it's cracking under new stresses that could blow it apart. Not only has longtime NATO skeptic Donald Trump frequently threatened to pull the United States out of the alliance, the U.S. president cut back funding for the organization just last week. Meanwhile, Turkey is steadily going its own way. And in what may be the unkindest cut of all, French President Emmanuel Macron recently declared NATO brain-dead and recommended a new European-only military alliance free of the United States and presumably Canada. In the Toronto Star, Penny Collinette writes, The shadow of misogyny looms over the new parliament. Collinette writes, When Jonathan Wilkinson, the recently appointed environment minister, was asked if he thought he would have an easier job in the portfolio as a man than former minister Catherine McKenna, he answered that he would love to say no, but I probably, in my heart of hearts, say yeah. Wilkinson's brutally honest answer highlighted the burning flame of misogyny, a hatred and contempt of women that looms over Parliament. Imagine if the Prime Minister had appointed a male politician as Environment Minister in 2015. Would there have been dissension with the provinces about the federal imposition of a carbon tax? Would there have been an uproar about Bill C-69? Yes, of course. The debate was always going to be fractious. But as Wilkinson instinctively recognized, it may not have reached the same vicious level that it did with McKenna. In the Globe and Mail, David Mulroney argues a year ago Ottawa did the right thing by arresting Meng Wanzhou and we're still paying the price. Mulrooney writes, A year after the arrest of Meng in Vancouver, new reporting is shedding light on what actually happened and when. But we're still a long way from understanding the fallout from the arrest and what it tells us about China and our future. We did the right thing a year ago, and we're still doing it when it comes to Meng, who is, unlike our detained Canadians, being treated fairly and with respect. 
And we're still paying the price China now exacts from any country that values the rule of law over the rule of Beijing, a new reality whose implications continue to elude us. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we mentioned, the Prime Minister is travelling to the UK today to meet with NATO allies in London, marking the 70th anniversary of the alliance. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will make an announcement in Toronto. And Governor-General Julie Payette continues her visit to Italy. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, December 2nd. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.